Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified profiting from your passions coach, Kate Fessler. Welcome to Change Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and today my guest is Patricia Wangsness. Patricia is a real estate professional in the Seattle area. Raised on the East Coast, Patricia had not envisioned this career or location for herself. She moved to the Seattle area in 2002, and before entering the profession as a realtor in 2004, Patricia and her husband flipped houses before it became all the rage. After a studs-out remodel of her own home, Patricia started a website resource called Redecorate, Remodel, or Move to help her clients navigate those thorny decisions, especially in such a hot real estate market. Welcome, Patricia. Thanks, Kate. Fun to be here. You did not start out in the Seattle in the Seattle area or in real estate. In fact, you got a degree in telecommunications and computer management. What type of career did you envision for yourself with that degree? Well, I was working for a small uh, company that was putting up satellite networks, and I was their fifth employee, and they hired me because my bachelor's is in English, and my I had a computer. I had my own computer back in the day. <laughs> I was one of the, I was I was a little geeky back then. So, I uh, and the reason that they liked my bachelor's in English is because we were dealing with engineers and engineers uh, write and speak and engineer speak and the people mm-hmm. that make the decisions about 10 and 20 million dollar satellite networks aren't usually engineers so they were financial people and practical people and people that don't they, they need a, a better explanation as to uh, make those kinds of decisions so it was a good it was a good start for me um, it was right around the time with AT&T and MCI, and it was it was a pretty exciting time in uh, the computer satellite network industry. It may come as a big surprise to people that not everyone has always had their own computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a day that it was a big deal. <laughs> I know, I know. Now, you, then you went way off the technology path with a bagel store. Tell me about that experience. So ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to be boss. I, my father had his own business and I always wanted my own business. So I actually met, um, my, my original plan was to have a car wash. But when I looked at the financials, that was a lot more, um, uh, cash intensive to invest in. So I actually met the owners of this franchise in New Jersey and, I had uh, gotten together with my husband, David, who was living at the time in Virginia. And when I met the owners of this franchise, they said, well, we're looking to expand to the Mid-Atlantic region. So we opened the first Mid-Atlantic 
uh, franchise, and that was quite the experience, but it was my own business, and that's what I wanted. Yeah. How long did you uh, stay in the bagel business? We were there for seven and a half years. Actually, we sold it after that. It's still in business today, which is kind of fun. Um, It was, you know, people think that real estate is a lot of hours. Well, doing retail food was a lot of hours, too, because it was seven days a week, 365 days a year. We did pare it down. We pared our hours down after about the first year because... Things in uh, New Jersey are slightly different than they are in Virginia. So it was quite the learning experience. I used to say that I got my MBA owning my own business. Yeah, no kidding. And early, too, I would imagine, mm-hmm. with a bagel bakery. Well, it yeah, it was right the before morning. the uh, low-carb diet hit. So that was interesting to navigate. Oh, so what brought you out west? So David, my husband, was born and raised in Portland, and he bought the house we have we live in now. Uh, He bought it in 1987 and was transferred six months later without a huge relocation package. So he didn't want to sell the house. He had lived in Bellevue for 15 years and always wanted to be in this area. So he bought the house and he thought he's only going to be gone two or three years uh, on the transfer. But from being in California for three years, he got transferred to the East Coast and ended up being a national sales manager for a division of GE Capital. So he was on the East Coast where he met me and we stayed for seven and a half years. And then actually we waited another year to come back. So we were on the East Coast. I was in Virginia when we got married. Um, I moved from New Jersey down there. And then we uh, were there for about eight and a half years. And David always wanted to come back here. He ended up keeping this house as a rental for 16 years. He kept it and it was a great investment. And so he, um, we sold our house in Virginia and we came back here and we fixed our house up in Virginia and got it ready for sale and got the highest price for anything in the market that had the history of that neighborhood. And this market was just starting to, do well out here also. So we came out here and we flipped houses for two years. Again, because yeah. I always wanted to be boss. I mean, once 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 you go down that entrepreneurial path, it's pretty hard to go back and have somebody else be your boss. Indeed. So you and your husband flipped houses for two years starting in 2002. And that was kind of before it all took off and, you know, people were it doing it. In the beginning. It was a, yeah, it was a good time to do it. Um, We actually, we did it for about four years. I got my license because I thought we could find houses because at that time, real estate brokers weren't really interested in investors because an investor has to look at maybe 30 or 40 houses before they can find one that is in the right location with the right price, with the right potential and put put all those things together. And I was... We were finding it hard to find people to work with that wanted to do that much work. Our Mm. biggest thing is we were going to buy the house and resell it within 90 days. So, yes, it seemed like a lot of work, but you were going to get two commissions in 90 days. And we thought that was a pretty good deal. Yeah, it sure sounds like it. And so then I I got my license so that I could find the deals. That makes sense to me. 
So when you were flipping, that was well before the market meltdown when people who made little more than minimum wage owned several properties mm. on uh, stated income and really weren't doing anything to them. We're just kind of buying them and waiting for the market to increase and putting them back on the market. Things have changed dramatically, and it's a lot harder to get financing for that kind of speculation. Do you see much flipping going on now? There are, there. oh yeah, there's lots of people. There are the professional flippers. I mean, some people just got into it. We got out of the flipping business because the the houses got to be too expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and then the more expensive the house, the more risk you have to take because you, you know, you have money up front plus you're covering, you know, your, uh, your changing costs and then you have carrying costs. And so we decided that we, we kept our last two purchases as rentals. But right now, there are very, very, very few people that will qualify. You need to be able to own a house. There is hard money out there. I mean, if you go down to the auctions down at the county courthouse steps, you'll find people that'll loan you money at 12 and 15% for 90 days or 120 days. And, you know, that eats up all your profit. You can't, you can't make any money. So a lot of the people that are flipping now are... Uh, they call themselves renovators. Flipping is really a, a pretty ugly term. <laughs> yes. And it's, uh, we actually, I sold a $2 million house just a year and a half ago that somebody bought it and totally renovated a beautiful Queen Anne home. And they easily put $100,000, maybe even a little bit more. And they more than made up their money. Mm-hmm. But you, ha you have to know what you're doing. You just, it's just not easy to, uh, and the risk is so great because the market will turn, the market can turn in a week or mm -hmm. a month and any national disaster or if interest rates go up or if there's a big thing in the news, I mean, anything, it's, it's a lot of risk. People think it's easy, but there's risk and you got to go into it with, you only risk what you can afford to lose. Right, right. Good advice. So in 2004, you got your real estate license, mainly to kind of cut out the middleman, but also because you couldn't find people to work with and what you were doing. When and why did you stop flipping and take on real estate sales as your profession? So I thought we would be our best customer. And uh, we actually got our two most profitable deals within the first six months of getting hanging my license and so we still worked on that and then I started uh, a neighbor came by and said oh my daughter needs to to buy a house and then somebody else came by and I answered the phone one day and somebody said well I need some help buying a house and so I started working with people truly by accident uh, and also there wasn't enough time for me to or enough business for us to handle more than two houses at a time. So I had a lot of time on my hands and I thought, well, I'll just, I'm a worker. So uh, that's how it happened. I just, it worked really, really well. Now you told me a story about uh, with your first listing, there was some divine providence involved. Tell there was. us that story. There was. So my very first listing as a uh, real estate person. Um, I used to do a lot of open houses and I always tell the young inexperienced real estate people to try to do an area for a, a significant 
period of time, three months, six months. It doesn't have to be the same house. It just needs to be the same area so that you get name familiarity. And this um, person had seen me in a lot of, 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 a lot of houses and met me a couple of times. And they happened to have a house that was very East coast. It was a farmhouse um, originally designed by the person who started uh, university bookstore and it had a big library, but it was very East coast and I could relate. And so they asked me to come and look at the house. And I, I just thought it was a great house because it was familiar. Mm -hmm. And I got the house on the market. We got it sold within, oh, about 45 days, which was good timing back then. And because it was a $1.5 million home. And the day that I went to have the contract signed, my husband uh, had a diagnosis of cancer. And it happened to be that my seller was the head of radiology at Children's Hospital. So mm. gave us some great referrals that we would have never been able to find by ourselves. And he had surgery and we had the best outcome. And it is, I truly believe that I was obviously, for some reason, I was supposed to get into selling real estate. Yeah, <clears throat> that's a great story. So we've got to take a short break. And when we come back, Redecorate, remodel, or move? That is the question. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. Are you ready to rise up and share all your greatness to the world? Stop playing small and settling for mediocrity? If so, then you need to join us at our eWomen Network Entrepreneur Conference and Business Expo in Dallas this year, August 3rd through the 5th. There will be hundreds of women entrepreneurs from all over the world waiting to meet you to share knowledge, wisdom, and even partnerships. Get ready to be coached by me and learn from other multi-million dollar speakers who will teach, inspire, motivate, and guide you to transform your thinking from small to big. And you can't beat the food and fun at our Saturday night dance party either. Look, no one makes it alone, so it's time to stop trying to be the COE, chief of everything, and step into your role as CEO. There is nothing like the eWomen Network Conference to bring out your genius and help you take action on living your dream. Register at eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for joining us. Back now with your host, Kate Fessler. Welcome back. You are listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and I'm here with my guest, real estate professional, Patricia Wangsness. Patricia, you and your husband did a studs-out remodel of your home and stayed married. Tell me about that experience. So our house is um, in a very good neighborhood, and only the second owner was built in 1957, and the original oil furnace the original single pane windows and actually had three roofs on it. It had a shake roof and two tab roofs because you could do it back in the day. Hmm. So we knew that we were, we originally, when we were coming back, we had a house designed for us to move into. And then we decided, no, we didn't like that design. And thank goodness we didn't because it was right after that, that there was the recession. So if we had started a remile back then, we probably would have been able to finish it. Mm. So eventually, a couple of years ago, the roof started to leak. Now, again, I say three roofs. So the roof was tired. The house was tired. It needed work. So we had to decide 
whether we were going to sell it or we were going to remodel it. And David wanted to remodel it and I was sort of on the seller side. So that's how I, that's really where the germ for redecorate, remodel or move came from. And it was the process that we went through uh, between us to figure out, you know, how much does it cost to remodel? How much does it cost to sell? And what people don't realize, and we tell sellers all the time, and I tell new buyers, there is an excise tax in the state of Washington of 1.78% off the gross price of your house. So that adds almost 2% to the cost of sale. And when you have two commas in your sale price, that adds up to be a lot of money. Indeed. So we decided, um, David won, and we decided to remodel. And so we did, we took it down to the studs because from 1957, there really hadn't been much work done. So everything needed to be upgraded to today's standards. And we vaulted the ceilings. We had seven foot, eight inch ceilings. We didn't even mean to have eight, eight, eight foot ceilings. And so they just, we raised the roof. We kept the same footprint. We raised the roof, made an open kitchen, open dining room. And it's just been we absolutely love the house. It was a little scary from time to time, like the day we walked up and they had taken the whole front wall of the house out. And we thought, well, that wasn't the plan. Well, we found <laughs> out that once they took the roof off, the the wall was being held up by the roof. It was a little too weak uh -huh. to, um, so they had to take it down. So now we have a two by six wall in the front of the house instead of a two by four wall in the rest of the house. But we love it. Yeah, you know those old homes. I had a home uh, that I did not a studs out remodel, but I did a significant amount. Of, I, you know, did the kitchen and the bathroom, which are the biggest pieces of any home remodeling. And um, boy, the stuff I found in those walls. Well, mine was a 1920s bungalow. And so there was still some knob and tube wiring. The people who had remodeled it before had done it very haphazardly. And it was just a mess. So yes, everything that you do in a remodel, you have to anticipate that there will be something that you haven't anticipated. Well, we found that there was a hole uh, on the outside wall on the house. There was a hole, a gutter. We had a, had a storage bin up against the, the back of the house. And a, and a gutter had uh, a problem with it. And it had gone down behind the storage room or the storage bin, a little plastic, you know, Rubbermaid kind of thing in the outside. And there was actually a hole through the outside um, siding, which caused moisture in the house. Fabulous. We didn't even know that until, and it, and it was, it was a pretty big hole. I mean, it was the size of a fist. So I, we don't know how many years it was there, but it was there. Well, you're lucky you didn't end up with mold. Yeah, we had no mold, but we, you know, it was a little musty in the outside of the, you know, in one of the back room of the house. Well, we figured because we had single pane windows and all of that. So, yeah, no, it was, it got corrected, clearly. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that you created this web resource called Redecorate, Remodel, or Move. What are you trying to bring to people and what gave you the idea that there was a need for that? So I, I literally sat on my living room couch for three months every morning i would sit there and say what am i going to do with this stuff and it was you know 
we figured that our remodel, our remodel went very well. We had a fantastic team. We had an architect, a designer, and a contractor that all worked incredibly well together. And we were very lucky that our, you know, not that we didn't have any problems or um, hiccups with suppliers and product and all that sort of stuff. But overall, we had a very great experience. And I know that the first, as you mentioned before, the two questions that we got from everybody was number one, are you still married? And number two, did you fire your contractor? And, you know, we're in the business. So we thought we had good resources and it was as emotionally hard for us. I mean, we had to move out, find a rental for seven months, move back in, uh, pare down, uh, buy new furniture, redesign. It was a it was a part-time job for five of the seven months that we that it took to do the project. And it was a full-time job for the last two months. We were here every single day trying to, you know, make all the last-minute decisions. And we thought, I thought, it came to me, boy, if it's this hard for us, how hard is it for other people? And mm-hmm. as I started to do some research, um, within about the first, within about 12 mile radius or maybe a 15 mile radius from here, there are 19,000 people that have been in their homes over 20 years. When I go in to see a home, I see, you know, I see 20 houses a week easily. Some houses are remodeled and some houses aren't. So I thought if I could help people, um, think about the steps, think about what it is, whether it's, and it's multi-generational. We're trying to, to help the people that are sixties or fifties to seventies or sixties to eighties that have choices. You know, they might be in a two level home and they may not be able to stay there eventually. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that we did our remodel is we have a one level home. We can stay here as long as we can afford it based on the where we are living and the taxes they're talking about, that may not be an option for the long, long term, but you know, we'll <laughs> yeah, cross no, that bridge when we come to it. But if we had a two-story home, I mean, I deal with a lot of clients that have two-story homes. And now that we've been through this, I have a really great understanding, empathy, um, tough love conversation coming from real experience that I can share with them. So I have experts that write about insurance and they write about taxes and they write about um, organizing, downsizing, how to you know get your garage back, um, interior design things, how to decide whether you redecorate, remodel or move. Do you just need mm-hmm. to spruce your house up, you know, with knobs in the kitchen instead of not no knobs or a new fresh coat of paint or, you know, you, or do you really need to redo that bathroom because it is so outdated and um, it needs a lot of help? Or do you need to move because you either have family on another coast or you need a one-story home versus a two-story home or you don't need that 5,000-square-foot home you've lived in for 43 years? You could, you know, you need a 2,500-square-foot home. And how to, number one, start that conversation. And sometimes the conversation has to come from the 40 year old children that their 60 or 70 year old parents really can't manage anymore. So that's why we, we started it. I just thought if, if it was this hard for me, it must be really hard for other people. And so it's, it's been, it's been a fun experience. Yeah. And one other thing I guess to think about is 
if you put all if you do remodel your uh home and then want to sell it is someone just going to tear it down anyway so you might as well just well, leave it and, and, you know we say um I, I talk to people all the time you know whether not necessarily because of redecorate remodel or move but what we do you know, you, you need, there's the art of standing out and fitting in, you know, if you make your house, make your house what you want, but always have an eye on resale. If you make mm -hmm. things too personal, then it really will deter um, what you what can get, or it makes the option of you getting a high, highest price because they are going to tear it down. Now, again, in this in the neighborhood that we we live, they were flabbergasted that all we wanted to do was remodel. Mm -hmm. And people, if somebody bought our house, you know, uh, um, because it's only 1600 square feet, somebody might, there's a call for it. It could be some of the, some wealthy person could put their mother-in-law here, or they could put their um, security service here. They could, because um, it's functional now. But uh, most people would, uh, in this, in our neighborhood, they're tearing anything, everything down that's more than 10 years old. So. Uh, yeah, and building big 3,000 square foot homes, some with elevators, though, for those people who might be concerned about their exactly. mobility. Exactly. And that's, I, I, I have that conversation with a couple of clients about whether or not they can put an elevator in. Um, that Again, that's also an option. We, we I was helping a buyer make a consideration of a house and they had put an elevator in the kitchen, which was fine. And it was looked like a little Tylenol, clear Tylenol tube. It was a pneumatic elevator, so they didn't need to go down. But where the elevator came up was in the middle of the office. So it really, you know, it, well, it was functional for them and it was a requirement for them. It really deterred the resale value. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So I get that painting, new light fixtures, maybe even new furniture would be redecorating. Yes. But would getting like new flooring, for example, be considered redecorating or renovating? And then what no, about like, new I counter? would think, yeah, I, I kind That's of so use it as a price point thing. Okay. You know, the, the biggest problem to decide between remodel and redecorate um is a number one, a price point thing. But if you redecorate one room and you do your family room or you do your kitchen, the kitchen is, is one of the most common. They redo the kitchen and they get new appliances and they get new countertops and they may even, they either, you know, cover the cabinets or maybe get new cabinets. I mean, you can spend 50 to $75,000 easily on a new kitchen. And then they say, wow, look at the family room. Right. Boy, that looks pretty Once you tired. do one, forget it. The rest of the house has to talk have about <laughs> project creep. And yeah. so, um, I, you know, I, we have good friends that that live in a great neighborhood, and they just had kept adding on to the house. And you know, now it's it's a little bit, um, it's a it's outdated. The the add-ons aren't exactly all in, you know, seamless. So that's the portion where you think you got to decide whether or not you should have just moved instead of remodeling. Cause if you need another room, you might be able to get away with adding a room. But if you get a, add another room, you got to make sure that it's going to fit in with the neighborhood. It's going to fit in with the, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be the most expensive house on the least expensive block. Again, right. the art of standing out and fitting in. Right. Traditional real estate wisdom.
So what, so you touched on some of this a little bit earlier, but what are some of the big questions people need to consider when they are deciding whether to redecorate, remodel, or move? Well, I think the best, the, the most, the easiest question for people to, to sort of, um, I, I say, if you haven't remodeled your house, if you haven't updated your house in 10 years, you need to. You know, you need to update your house every 10 years, whether you think you need it or not. If I said five years to people, they'd be horrified. Most people can get away unless you have young kids or pets and a heavy use of a house. You can get away with a good coat of paint, um, you know, good, uh, you know, carpeting and flooring will usually last you 10 years. Sometimes carpeting, again, depending on the kind of traffic and the kind of lifestyle you have. But after 10 years, you know, colors change. Um, light fixtures change. The, the light, the lighting is just amazing. Overhead can lights versus one light in the middle of a bedroom. Um, dimmable lights, um, window treatments. I mean, I'm sure that when you grew up, your mother had the the big drapery and they had the inside drapery and the, I mean the heavy, heavy formal stuff. People just don't do that very much anymore. They want lighter. They want Oh, remote control. They want um, thermostats that are smart so that you can control it. Well, if, you're, if your furnace is 20 years old, you can't get one of those newer thermostats. And oh, by the way, you might not be able to add air conditioning. So mm-hmm. you need to, you know, you need, a, you need to get a new hot water tank. You need to get a new furnace after 20 years. And it's, it, that's when you start to decide the house is going to need a new roof. Well, if I need a new roof, then, well, I want to stay or I want to, do I need to put a new roof on before I sell it? So that's the easiest is it's the remodel or move. If you mm-hmm. really, really like the neighborhood and you need to stay there, then remodel if you can. Because the cost of selling, uh, you have a real estate commission, you have your excise tax, and you also have a capital gains tax. So, I mean, we have one client who... Um, They've lived in their house for 43 years and they're going to end up paying a lot of money in capital gains tax. So, you know, those are the kinds of considerations we couldn't, we could, the amount of money that it cost us to do the remodel, we would have had to spend giving away half of that in taxes and fees. And so we decided that we would remodel because we could, Mm -hmm. because we have a one level home, we could stay. Other people don't have that choice. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of angst right now about real estate, at least in our area, maybe not in other parts of the country, but especially in markets like this one where the inventory is low and prices are high. Right. It feels like it can't continue forever. What do you see coming? Is there another meltdown in our future? Well, the difference between what it is today and what it was 10 years ago 10 years ago, you were right. It was the people that had no money down. They were buying houses on stated income and they were just waiting for it to go up enough in three years or five years so that they could make their, they could make a quick $50,000 maybe. Well, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, those people that bought at the peak if they bought in 2007, they bought in the peak and then it really started trickling down. The high end market started to slow down in 2007, but it all kind of came crashing down for everybody by the middle of 2008. 
And so anybody that bought in 2007 was panicked because they had uh, balloon loans. They had, uh, you know, they had a low interest rate and then they were thinking in five years, I have to start paying back because it was an interest only loan. I have to start paying interest and principal and how am I going to make that payment? Well, things are different here for two now, two reasons. The first one is a stated income loan is harder to get. Um, it, number two, when you go to qualify for a house, if you're going to do an interest only or you're going to do a seven-year arm or a 10-year arm, they're back, adjustable rate mortgages, uh, you have to qualify for the higher rate. So oh. if you were going to have, um, so you, so basically you have that extra money that you could, if you were smart, because your payment will be lower than what it could be in the higher years, you would put that money aside. Um, not everybody is that smart. And we have a lot of people coming in for jobs. Or, so And they know they're not, this isn't going to be their forever home. So they figure, why should I do a higher interest rate um, for a longer term? when I can get a lower interest rate for a shorter term, because I'm going to be gone, I'm going to get transferred back out in five years. The other big overall difference now in this area that it was in, in other air in the 10 years ago is that this is a jobs based market run up. Um, mm -hmm. We have so many people coming in for jobs that it is staggering. I, we've been hearing for the last year or two that, um, the great big internet uh, retailer, which who I'm sure everybody can, <laughs> whose name begins with A, yes, they were having 200 people every Monday in their new employee orientation uh, every Monday. That's a lot of people. Well, mm -hmm. I have a client and she did her orientation two weeks ago and there were 800 people. Now, um, that's a lot of people. And so some of them are buying, some of them are, a lot of them are renting because again, it's not going to be their forever home, but we have so many people coming in for jobs. And if you have kids in school and you need a yard and you need this and that, a lot of people would rather buy than just rent. Yeah. So, so I don't, I see, I, it's going to have to slow down because people are just getting tired. It's, it, it's a 60, 70 year cycle that things always slow down towards the end of the decade, but they are not as slow as they were at the very beginning of the decade. But I don't see us having much of a pullback uh, in the volume of houses and the urgency for houses because we have such pent up demand right now. If we could, if we double the amount of inventory on the market right now, it might go from less than one month of inventory to three months of inventory. And that would be healthy, but other areas of the country would love to have an average three month on market. We have less than a week on a market. That's our average is, is a week or a week and a half on the market. I know things go up for sale on Thursday and they look at offers on Tuesday and exactly. for the most part they're gone, but if they're not gone, what does that mean? Like, there are some things that have been in the market for a really long time. Do you think that's because they're overpriced or yep. they're just not yep. what people yep. are looking for? Absolutely. No. Well, everything sells at a price. Everything. Yes. Every mm -hmm. single house will sell at a certain price. And right now, because it's been so long, so good for so long, sellers are getting overconfident 
And I will also use that big G word, greedy. Some of them are getting really greedy. Well, my neighbor got this, so I, and my house is much better than I should get that. Yeah. And I, you know, my conversation is it's the market. The market sets the price. The market is the market. Just because you want X dollars or X plus 10% has nothing to do with what the buyer's reaction is. So if you start too high, it, it, it's just not going to go. It's just, it's just not going to sell. Buyers are very savvy and they, well, they have limited choices. They don't want to be taken advantage of. Buyers think they know there's a lot of resources, not all good that, that will give you estimates on your pricing. Um, but it's, it's, sellers are overcome. We need a balanced market right now. It's been a seller's market for so long. They think, um, and I, and I say this often, if you have a, a marginal house, this is a good time to sell it because you'll get more than when you would in a slow market. However, you can overprice your house. You can't underprice it if you, if you market it properly and give the market a chance to see it and drive the price up, but you sure can overprice your house. And once it's on the market at a, at a price that's too high, then it becomes old news, right? And people are like, oh, whatever. That's been on the market for 30 days. There must be something wrong with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when it was on, you know, I, I sometimes we agents chuckle with each other when we call and say, so you've been on the market 30 days. What's wrong with the house? Mm. And sometimes it's because, you know, there's there, there can be many circumstances. But the most important thing is usually it's too high. I just talked to an agent the other day and. I said, you know, it seems to be a good house. And she said, nope, I, the sellers started too high. They didn't do all the things that I suggested that they do. And what will happen is you'll get less money in the long run than if you had started lower because the cost of mate, the holding it and all that sort of thing. So nobody likes to believe us, you know, a seller will sell a house maybe once every five years and we sell 20 or 30 or 40 a year. So mm -hmm. we do have a little bit more experience and perspective, but the seller is the ultimate, they get to make the decision and we get to live with the consequences. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Well, it's interesting. You mentioned something about the, the end of the decade and uh, um, a friend of mine has a friend who's a realtor and she said that she did some research and the market is always lower. I can't remember if she said it goes down or if it just stabilizes, but in years that end in a nine. Well, yeah, that's the end of the decade. I mean, yeah. it's always it, it the, the economic engine runs out of gas, and I mean, there's a graph. There's a graph. It's every you know, it's every ten years. It starts out slower in years zero, one, and two, and it peaks at five, six, and seven. This year, I this decade, I think it's going to probably still be pretty high in eight. But you know, nine and zero, it, it's it's going to slow down a little bit. But again, when you're going 90 miles an hour and you slow down to 60, it still seems you really are going fast. Um, but there can't be, and, and all the real estate agents will be so exhausted by that time that it needs to slow down. Yeah. As are some of the buyers who are getting whiplash by the prices going by. Exactly. Them. You know, once, you know, and, and that's why it's slower in the summer. Buyers are tired. We've had a magnificent summer. And so there are not as many offers out there. There are not as many people out looking at houses because there are, you know, there is life. 
and there's mm-hmm. vacations and all, but just, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm not disappointed that we only get five offers on a house as opposed to 25 offers on a house. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we're almost out of time. I have to ask you, what is one book or resource that changed your life that you would recommend to people? Well, um, I'm so glad you asked that. I mean, I have, I could give you six that had, you know, altered the course or enhanced the course. But I think the first one that I ever read was The Road Less Traveled. And I I read that, well, if I told you when I read it, you'd know how old (laughs) I was and we're not sharing those things. But I read it a, you know, a long, long time ago. And that and the seven habits of highly effective people, uh, I, I still go back and, and I think of those two books often because the, the EQ that they talk about, which wasn't EQ, wasn't a term back then, mm-hmm. but, you know, the personal growth, the personal responsibility, the personal commitment, um, as I say, I was, I think I was born to, to be a boss. and it's as an entrepreneur and continue to be an entrepreneur. I like doing new things. I would get easily bored, but you also have to be grounded with values and a perspective. So, yep, those are the two. If people want more about you and maybe subscribe to redecorate, remodel or move, how can they do that? So um, the easiest way is redecorate, remodel, or move.com. And we have, um, you can click on the icons of redecorate, one for remodel and one for move. And I have great, I have 10 tips for each of those, 10 tips to make your redecorating, uh, some light redecorating for your house to brighten your home. Uh, I have 10 remodeling successes that you need to keep in mind. And I have 10 tips about moving to make your move successful. And then we have some other things that we send out. You don't get bombarded, but there's, there's three really great things for you to get. And then we give you a few other things along every month and every once in a while, we send you out new tips. You're not bombarded. Uh, Our experts continue to write and update and new articles. So uh, check out our authors, check out all of their, um, great information. They're all experts in their field and we like to share. Awesome. Patricia Wangsness, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Kate. It was fun. Good luck. I hope you enjoyed that. Two things I could talk about forever, travel and real estate. If you have something to add to the conversation, please leave a comment on the show page or on my First Class Life Solutions Facebook page. Please follow the show to be reminded of upcoming episodes and tell your friends. If you're looking for previous episodes or the recommendations of my guests, you can find all of that on my website, firstclasslifesolutions.com. Next week, my guest will be Lala Jackson. Lala is a chronic illness author, speaker, and advocate. She's the author of the internationally best-selling ebook, Beyond Powerful, Your Chronic Illness is Not Your Kryptonite, which delves into the superpowers gained from a life with chronic illness, currently available for pre-order in actual book form. At the age of 10, Lala was diagnosed with the autoimmune disease type 1 diabetes. She immediately jumped into advocacy and has met with numerous representatives and senators to speak on behalf of the rights of people living with chronic disease more important now than ever. 
She earned a B.S. in communications from the University of Miami in Florida, then went on to study federal health care policy and management at Georgia State University. She works with a major type 1 diabetes nonprofit headquartered in New York City, is an active healthcare advocate, and a candid writer about healthcare policy, particularly as it affects those with chronic conditions. In addition to issues surrounding chronic illness, Lala writes and speaks about relationships, leadership, wellness, and many topics fellow women millennial leaders deal with in their work and personal lives. I hope you'll join us. Until then, here's to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at ewnpodcastnetwork.com.